You're listening to the Perihelion Podcast Network. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raupo Podcast. This podcast is presented by the Center of Research Excellence in Indigenous Sovereignty and Smoking in Auckland, New Zealand, and Perihelion Creations in the United States of America. Hi, everybody. My name is Michael McGrady, and I'm here with Dr. Mauro Glover. Hi. Hi, Michael. It's been a while. A it very has. strange it year. Has. Very strange year. Yeah, it's it's pretty good down here in New Zealand. We we've been very lucky uh, because we shut the borders basically and have uh, good border control. And so, you know, most of us we're pretty much going on with our lives uh, as normal. So, uh, but I'm very aware that that's not how it is for a lot of people in many other countries. And I'm you know really sorry. Uh, that it is the way it is. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, it it it, it it's improving. Uh, U.S. You know, then everything looks bleak from the U.S. point of view, but it's not too bad, honestly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you wanted to, to talk about a new study that uh, you and the center are conducting. Can you describe what the study is and what it will accomplish? Kind of just give us a, a rundown of what it is and what you seek to investigate with this. Yes, we've launched Voices of the 5%. And the point of the study is to interview and really get to understand what it's like now for people in New Zealand who don't want to quit or can't quit. And we call them the Voices of the 5% because the New Zealand government has an aspirational goal to reduce the number of people smoking down to 5% or less by the year 2025. We don't really know if that's achievable. It was a figure that basically was picked out of a hat, a very tough uh, goal to reach, and the government is being and has been, you know, pretty tough in terms of what it's going to do to get us there. So New Zealand is one of the leading uh, nations in terms of enacting framework convention tobacco control strategies, tax, high tax on tobacco, like really high. It's the highest in the world here in New Zealand relative to income, higher in absolute figures in Australia. But Extensive smoke-free environments, you know, you can hardly smoke anywhere anymore uh, inside or in workplaces. Even in Auckland, our largest city, the city council have uh, made a policy. It's not enforceable, but banning smoking on the beaches and in the parks, um, sitting outside a cafe. If it's if the, the footpath is owned by the council, then they're banning the smoking there. Uh, and they've added vaping into that as well now. So we just wondered why in a tough environment where you have huge pressure to quit, why would you keep smoking and what's the barriers for the remainder of the people who keep smoking? So – these people we're interviewing are still likely to be smoking in 2025 and we're going to follow them through over the next four years and interview them every now and then, 
how they're going, what's happening, especially as new, tougher policies come into place aimed at making them stop. And we will be following up. So at the moment, we're putting up the case stories on the website. This gives you a real introduction to the people. It's in their words. Uh, they tell about the history of smoking. And, you know, we, we really get to understand why they smoke. And then, of course, over the years, we'll be asking if they have been exposed to the latest, you know, mass media campaign. Have they tried vaping? Uh, you know, whatever policies are put in place. What about the next and latest biggest, you know, tax increase or punishment or fine that's going to be imposed upon them? And how are they affected by that? You know, basically, why are these policies and strategies not working for everybody? Why does the, what does the center seek to accomplish with this study? You know, how do you want to impact the uh, tobacco harm reduction debate around the world? I think that one of the things that's occurred to me over the last sort of decade is that many people who had come into tobacco control in the later sort of generations, like, as I said, I've been in tobacco control for 30 years, and I've, I've almost seen sort of each decade a new generation of people come in. And in this last decade, there's a lot of people joining who never smoked themselves. And the, there's a huge disconnect between the people now working in health promotion and or even getting jobs as smoking cessation counsellors. And they're just completely uh, brainwashed, if I could say, by the previous 45 decades of mass media anti-smoking campaigns. So many, many people in the public, everybody will spit out all of the messages that have been put out there. We've We've given people the wording, we've given them the narrative, we've given them the language and how to talk about smoking and smokers. And it's that's become normalized to, to talk about uh, smokers in a very negative way, to walk past them and do the windmill arms and the pinch your nose and, ew, that stinks. Children do it. And as I said, it's just this huge disconnect. And the other thing that's been really in the last decade, because vaping has now been around for more than 10 years, was this realization that these people have no compassion for people who smoke. They absolutely do not care. It does not matter that they're a medical doctor or health promotion worker, they absolutely have not one iota of care or compassion uh, for people who smoke. And over the, the decades, we've seen this worsen. Uh, we've seen people say you need an operation and what, oh, you smoke and then, you know, you'll put down the waiting list. There's increasing discrimination discriminatory policies, uh, health hospitals here in New Zealand, passing a policy that they will not employ anybody who smokes. Uh, the New Zealand Defence Force will not, you know, they, they passed a policy smoke-free 2025 that no, there would be no smoking on any uh, 
grounds, buildings, vehicles, anywhere owned by the New Zealand Defence Force. And when they launched that, the spokesperson actually said, our staff won't smoke. And they tried to retract that, but that is the thinking is, no, you're just not allowed to smoke anymore. So it's complete prohibition. And what I'm hoping with the voices of the 5% study, and we're putting their stories up in their words, and I hope uh, that people read them. It's a resource for anybody who wants to understand why people smoke in one of the most uh, harshest environments in the world for smokers, New Zealand and Australia, but we're just interviewing people in New Zealand, you'll get a good idea of uh, what's what's going to happen, the unintended perverse effects of some of the tobacco control policies, the stigmatization, the marginalization, the loneliness, because these people, they're cut off, they're excluded and there's some very interesting themes, even though we're only almost halfway through our interviewing. Uh, you know, one of the things about smoking was the social aspect. It was a hugely social uh, thing. People smoked together. Everybody used to smoke and then smoke when they're drinking alcohol, when they party, and when they meet with others. And what's happening in New Zealand, a new kind of uh, – Thing about smoking and what's coming through in our interviews is is people as closet smokers uh, and they smoke on their own. It's something they do on their own. And you know, there's one story up on the website now. Arthur, I mean, honestly, uh, you have a read of of Arthur's story. He's an elderly man and he is a complete loner. Um, and he says he tries to stay away from people, uh, particularly with his smoking. He won't go anywhere near. He tries to even not smoke in sight of other people. The people can't see him smoking. And these, the extent uh, that people have to go to 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 avoid the dirty looks and being treated. Uh, like lepers, um, and another elderly man said, you know, he'd worked all his life. He'd paid taxes, and then when he retired, he did voluntary work, and now if he's outside in public having a cigarette and young people, their behaviour towards him is absolutely uh, disgusting, disrespectful, that they feel... Uh, so self-righteous and morally right to look upon him and and tut tut him uh, and and give him dirty looks. It's uh, you know I, I think that's some breakdown in uh, our society and in our family uh, relationships in the sense that respect for elders is is um, being whittled away. Mm-hmm. That that does seem like um, a very hard thing to experience for someone, um, especially when they are advanced in age and uh, they lived a full life and you know they did things that you know 
the younger generations probably don't know about or know how impactful or or something along those lines. Um, you know, it, it just uh, it does seem like this is going to be a very profound uh, study when it's completed. And um, you know, I think uh, I think it's more interesting to see like what exactly have you done so far? You said you're almost done doing the initial interviews. Is that correct? We were planning to interview about 50 and that's so we can get that diversity. And then because we had all of these elderly people ring up, uh, we created a another cohort, I guess you could say. Uh, we, we won't necessarily follow them through. As one woman said, uh, she was uh, she's 82. She said, oh, I don't even know that I'll still be around. <laughs> but So we're at least doing one interview with them to capture their story and share that you know, with everybody. I think the, the different thing about the Voices of the 5% study is that you, the public, can see the data as it's, um, as it's being collected, basically. Uh, the stories, we try to preserve the wording of the participant as much as possible. We're, we're not doctoring these stories. Obviously, we've asked some questions. Uh, we we ask very sort of vague prompting to get them to just talk. It's a very natural uh, style of interviewing. So obviously all studies have bias, but I'm really trying to bring their voice through. And it's a resource that's up there live now. As we interview people, more stories will go up there. Uh, you don't have to wait till it's completed, so to speak. It, this is the data is there for you now, and other people can have a look and learn from this as we are learning from it. Whereas your sort of more, I guess, common way of a study being done will be that the researchers ferret away in private and in the ivory tower for years and then uh, publish a paper. That's not the way we're doing the study. Yes, we'll publish papers, we'll do some analysis, but we're not holding the data back. It's there and it's public for everyone to look at now and draw your own conclusions. And we will we will do some analysis and we will draw our conclusions as well. You know, we'll look at the literature, we'll we'll apply different theories, for example, and produce scientific journal articles as well. But the resources there uh, for example, vaping advocacy groups are already reading the stories and picking out extracts. Uh, for example, one of the 35-year-old uh, guys we've interviewed, we're asking everyone, you know, have you tried vaping? Actually, often they just volunteer that, oh, and I've tried vaping. And he he had tried vaping and then he said he did his own, he vaped for a little while, did his own research and he came across all of that popcorn lung uh, propaganda lies campaign put out by public health groups and it put him off. And so he talks about that. And there's quite a few of the participants who have tried vaping. It's surprising how many have. And so the resource is there for others to use, others to read, others to learn from these people who smoke. And the other thing you can learn about if you're a cessation worker or a healthcare worker is why do people smoke? What, what are they getting out of it? Like, why aren't they quitting? And 
boy, you can really, I hope others do and can see why these people smoke. I, I really think it is coming through in the stories. And just to clarify, um, we don't have to include this in the final cut of the episode, but the interviews are done anonymously or? Um... Yes, the the participants are interviewed by phone and we do anonymize their case story. So we give them a pseudonym, uh, any information that might identify them you know, like, oh, it's the Prime Minister. No, <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's not the Prime Minister. But if somebody had a prominent role and there's only one of those people one of in New Zealand, we obviously would, wouldn't put that in there. But we give a general, if somebody works for, I don't know, an airline and they give the name of the airline, we won't do that. We'll replace it with they work for a major airline. So we anonymise the story um, you know, uh, are, uh, any final thoughts, Marilyn? Like, what you've discussed is extremely helpful and interesting. And I think that, uh, you know, you providing your final thoughts here would actually help kind of send home the conclusion of this podcast. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like, what do you, what do you think? Like anything else you want to say, or you think you touched it all? I just hope that anybody who has any question about why do people smoke, why don't they quit, and anyone who wants to really understand whether it's their own patients who smoke, other people, uh, what effects policies might have, will use the website, read the stories, and I'm hoping that this will develop and bring back the understanding that we used to have in health uh, we understood about why people smoke and that's all gone. Um, a lot of it's gone and been replaced with a kind of a demonizing narrative and uh, these people are at a very negative na narrative about these people and you will see that they're not like that at all. Um, they're not demons. They're real people with real mm. lives and real stresses. So I hope to increase understanding of why people smoke, why they don't stop smoking, especially when they're under extreme pressure to do so. And, and I hope that with that understanding comes some compassion and then we can work towards policies that – may be more effective for a wider range of people, not just the same people who respond to the same old, same old that is being done now. Mm -hmm. So you, you seek to dispel healthism, you know, the, this, the very, very. Yeah. Healthism. Concept. Yeah. The exactly. healthism, the healthism bias um, that, 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 that definitely does. Uh, speak well, and I think that uh, is important now. Now these days, <laughs> you know, yeah. people are bi are biased against people who have the flu, and they automatically think that they have COVID. But you know, it, and it starts to alienate them. Yes, there's that real moral uh, moralizing about people who do not have you know the right weight or 
you, exactly. You know, any, any kind of illness, well, it's their fault. They're not looking after themselves properly. And yes, it's um, and or why people drink alcohol or smoke or eat a donut or and there's so many things or drink a fizzy drink. And the, we've got to get away from that. Public health is has just completely. It's just completely um, broken down and lost empathy and compassion that almost don't understand human behavior anymore. So it's it's really, really serious. And of course, we're seeing that with COVID, the COVID response, uh, public health, absolutely, this is the pinnacle. This is, this is what you get. And when mm-hmm. you just let a sector um, go right, just so far off course and so far away from their founding principles to dictating every little thing, every little thing, how how many times you should walk a week, what food you should eat and how many and every little thing. And we see that now with the COVID response and they're just going so, so far, you know, talking about Mm -hmm. making behaviours mandatory uh, fining people if they don't do a behaviour completely opposite to what the Ottawa Charter um, of Health Promotion was all about, empowering people, giving people the education to make the you know the best choice for them, or the healthiest choice that they can at the time. It's all gone, and uh, I, I, yeah, for, and certainly for people who smoke, as I said, there's real harm for them. Um, I would encourage people to read Arthur's story. He talks about, you know, he he supports the tobacco. He supported the tobacco taxes. And then at the end of his story, he says how he sits sometimes. He doesn't turn the heater on, you know, because of the price. And so there you've got someone who supported the tobacco taxes and at the same time ends up being harmed by them. Um, And it's quite sad. Yeah, this is most certainly in a, a living case study of uh, bioethical treatments and what is ethical and what isn't exactly uh, in the practice of medicine and public health. And we're following these people through. So, Bob, if you read Bob's story, um, I haven't put the update up there yet, but the We've just got the introduction to Bob, but I've since interviewed him twice again. And he, in the second interview, he had had some strokes, some small strokes. And in the third interview, he's still having some what he called small events. So there are very real consequences for people, for some people, if they aren't able to stop smoking. And we're also hearing about the health care that he's receiving and we know through the literature and other studies that have been done that people who smoke are discriminated against and don't receive the same level of health care and he's a good example of 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 that uh you know uh, thank you again um dr glover for speaking with me and thank you again for continuing your groundbreaking research um, a lot of people like what you do uh, even if you know they think vaping or tobacco harm reduction is, you know, not necessarily the right way, but you know they do encourage your research and insight. I most certainly do, and I thank you, um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dr. Marowa Glover. And again, my name is Michael McGrady. Thank you for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Michael. 
If you would like to learn more about the Voices of the 5% study being conducted by Dr. Marilyn Glover and her staff at the center, please visit Voices of the 5, the number 5, percent, one word, dot nz. Visit Voices of the 5% dot nz in your web browser. This podcast is produced with the Center of Research Excellence in Indigenous Sovereignty and Smoking and Parahelion Creations in Monument, Colorado, United States of America.